Please note, this episode references sexual violence, bulimia and mental health issues. See show notes for helpful links if you have been affected by any of the issues referenced. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Well, this is just smashing because I'm speaking to the founder of TEDx Cumbernauld Women, <laughs> Maureen Hasquit. Maureen, thank you so much for inviting the Bra and the Brave to be part of this year's amazing event. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a new one. We didn't, you know, manage to do it last year and we're learning as we go along and it's amazing to have had you on the on this ride. <laughs> I know, and that's the thing, like so we met up maybe um two months ago all socially distanced of course but we were very much hopeful that we were going to all be in the one space but unfortunately I wasn't able to happen I'm amazed that you stuck with it because the goalpost must have just got moved a million times and it would have been quite easily everyone would have understood if you just went okay enough like I don't think we can do this but you didn't you made it happen you made it an online event that people could still feel so much a part of and just let, let me congratulate you for that because it, it must have been so <laughs> difficult to put it together. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was a bit nerve-wracking. There was, uh, you're right, the goalpost moved so many times and I was convinced, yeah, when we met that, you know, there were full two months to go. I was sure we were going to be able to do it um, like last year with a live audience and then as we went along, it was like two weeks before the event, I took advice from like the Scottish government and from peers you know producers in the industry and it seemed like all the productions were still going ahead so yeah um we decided to go ahead and it was a commercial production you know we hired in equipment we were in professional studios the studios were allowed to function so all of so many boxes to tick and to make sure that it was compliant we had a risk assessment we have all of that, which we did last year as well, but it just everything felt a lot more significant this year. <laughs> yeah, of course. But so many people have just been so glad that you did because we've missed out in events and, you know, we've missed out again, obviously, this year being together, but it is about making it work. And you've, you know, we've all seen so many people trying to put their thing that they love to do online. And it, it is difficult, but I think people just appreciate the effort because we do feel disconnected and that mm. the theme of this year's event fearless i think you you're just like the epitome of that theme i mean you just <laughs> took that theme you ran with it oh thank you yeah when i because i emceed the this year and when i when i opened the show it was like let me let me address the elephant in the room i am not fearless <laughs> very much feel fear especially right now um but it was in my head it was never not going to happen um once I committed to it and I did in the summer I had to find a way to make it work I kept saying to people I don't want to do fearless from behind a computer and for me it was still very important to have an element of coming together um which in the end we had five 
talks live, just five speakers live. Um, but that allowed us to keep the numbers down in terms of the crew and everyone. And, you know, the speakers literally came, delivered their talk and left. <laughs> um, so, but we didn't make it work. And the rest was pre-recorded. And, um, but the aspect of coming together actually really happened online. And I think because it was on Facebook, on a group, and people were also able to comment live. And I think that added a lot to the experience and being able to, to go, oh, I feel like that too. And oh, um, yeah, it's, it resonates with me too and all that. So it was a different kind of experience, but I think it really worked still. You obviously alluded to last year's event. So take you back for a second. What inspired you to actually produce that event in the first place? Right. Like TED, I mean, TEDx, I mean, it's not like, it's not just any talk. Well, exactly. So that's the thing. So I arrived in uh, in Cumbernauld and really quickly, I arrived in Cabrain and I moved to Cabrain and really quickly I saw all the challenges that the community was facing, you know, the mental health challenge, challenges. Cabrain has been identified by the Scottish government as one of the nine poorest area in terms of childhood poverty and neglect and stuff. And, and you can see, like, you can, you can see it and you can feel it in the street. So a lot of it, I think is also due to mindset and I think you know I've, I've always been into self-development and self-growth and all that and I was like if you can shift the perception of what is possible and all of a sudden make people feel important feel significant then there's a lot that you can achieve there's a lot that you can change and the women aspect is for me if you if you heal the family and if you heal the women then you heal the home and then you heal society basically <laughs> That's the feminist in me. So yeah, I um, I spoke to one of my mentor figures um, back in the summer 2019, and I explained the the challenges that I saw in Cabrain, and he was like, "Why don't you hold a TEDx event?" And I was like, "No, that's the kind of thing you do." <laughs> and all of a sudden, I just thought, "Well, that's you know, that's my own mindset, and maybe that's the kind of thing I can do." And that night I just applied for a license. I looked it up. I had no idea they had a women event license. So I applied for a TEDx Camino Women. I think about six weeks later I got it and then I just had to make it happen. And oh no, uh, I've and started something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's alive. Alive. <laughs> but it really, it really was alive. It really is alive. It's funny how there's an energy to it and people, you know, like yourself and, and other like sponsors and the team and all, like gravitate towards a concept, towards a project and it attracts the people it's supposed to attract and it's been fascinating. I'm very much of the mind that, you know, it's going to happen and it will attract people it's supposed to attract. So Elisa, for example, Elisa, before I'd even committed to the event, she saw that I did last year's and she sent me an email and um, she actually got uh, through to me on LinkedIn and all of a sudden you get, you get a vibe, you get an energy from people and we really gelled in her story. I mean, when she started, I was like, I always start with, um, so what's your idea? Because TEDx is ideas worth sharing. And she had so many and she had like, okay, yeah, the challenge with this one is going gonna, gonna to be to pick one. <laughs> and, but then it's a happy problem. And then other people come from different, you know, from the team, from um, people who heard about people or yeah, people start circling around uh, the project and you start hearing names that keep coming back. And yeah, with Anna Pettigrew, I'd, I'd seen her on Facebook and I just thought she was amazing. And also then other people in the community starting mentioning her. But it's open. I just like, I love the idea that um, we can take local voices from Carbrain, from Cumberland and give them a global platform. And why not? Like that's, you know, we all have a story. We all have that 
nugget that makes us human <laughs> you know what I mean that we can all connect on and I love the idea of being able to showcase that like Anna did it live for example and I mean she had a ball <laughs> you know and you could tell like she came Absolutely. alive and and then Kirsty, Kirsty Barr, who's a survivor of domestic abuse, I wanted a fire breather if we were going to do it live with people, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, with an audience. And I booked her as a, as a fire breather. And then I was like, I'm so sorry, but it's not going to happen. Like, and then she said, oh, but maybe I could, you know, if, if you can give me a chance, um, if we could meet, then maybe I could talk. And I'm like, sure. So I met her and she's like, this is my story. And I was like, yep, you got a, you got a spot on that stage. <laughs> and she really delivered. She, um, you know, I could see I was behind the camera and I could see she was, you know, like the tears were, she was welling up and, and it is a very intense experience, but people really sort of show the, the fearless in them and the, the best in them. And she really, her talk was amazing. Everyone has a story. And of course, a lot of the stories in the day were very powerful and very unique and very specific to that person. But I think what the power is of someone telling their own story is that there's, there's only one way that they're going to tell it. No one else in the world is going to be able to tell your story the way that you'll be able to tell it. And I'm sure as a filmmaker, you've been witness to that on so many occasions. It's such a privilege, like even doing this podcast, to hold space for people. It, it's a massive mm. like responsibility, but I just I can understand the joy that it is yeah. for you to do an event like TEDx, Cumberland Women, and to be a filmmaker, to basically give people a, a platform exactly no exactly and I was um when I saw Susie's talk for example after after her talk like everyone in the studios were in tears <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we were all like it was quite a powerful thing but and and you know it, she talks about recovering from bulimia and I don't think I've ever been bulimic like I don't think I've, I have a particular eating disorder I have a relationship with food and it's not always been healthy so I can understand even though I didn't go to that length I think even though you don't necessarily have the exact same story, you can understand the dynamics of a particular story and that's what makes it relatable. And the way, you know, someone will articulate it, the way Susie articulates her talk is just so relatable and so, yeah, so powerful. And that's, you're exactly right. Like the first instinct is then to thank that person for sharing, to thank, and, you know, to let them know that you've got them and that you are feeling responsible for the story and for sharing the story. Anytime you want to, like, anytime you expose someone or someone's story to the public, there is a duty of care. But it was very important to let all the speakers know that, you know, they're, all, they're not alone. We're very much a team. And that aspect of also like sisterhood kind of, you know, it's, uh, it helps healing and it helps sort of, yeah, moving forward, I think, with strength. Everyone experiences hardships and it's not about, you know, degree and the pain or like comparing or anything. It's about we all have our stories and they're all valid. And that's the thing. Like, yeah, especially with like everything that's going on, um, you know, with women in the world at the moment, like every perception is valid and every pain is pain, no matter where it comes from. In this moment, if there was one takeaway from this year's event, what would it be for yourself personally? Trust your instinct. I can't remember who said it, but if maybe it was said a few times, Sylvia or Susie, but the answer is within. And I think I always have to remind myself of that. And I think it comes with age as well. But yeah, the answers are really within. And it's not about looking outside for the answers. It's about looking within. It feels. I think that's what allowed me to carry on and, and pull the event off. It's no matter what is going on outside, you have to be so centered that, 
that's your compass basically and you know you just have to trust that everything was sort of aligned to help that happen <laughs> but I'm always surprised as I go through yeah as I go through life how the answers are really within I did spend my 20s and early 30s most of my 30s looking outside for validation for for answers like everyone else you know was doing it better than me or would you know and I'm always surprised now then when I allow myself to look within for answers how my successes my achievements my pain doesn't have to look like anyone else's and the only answer is to just own it and keep moving forward and it doesn't my past doesn't have to resemble anyone else's yeah i guess the burning question is and it's probably too soon to ask it but um would you do it all again would you do it next year or moving i will i will i feel like no absolutely i'll commit to it now (laughs) Um, but that's the thing this year I really felt like planting the seed of, I won't be doing it forever, but something has been started. And if I stop doing it, I want to be able to give it to someone. So we'll see who it is. I think I've got another few in me. <laughs> and, and doing the two events that you have and them being such a success and, and so, so different in so many ways, mm. that you'll have learned so much in doing that and, um, and, and yeah. hopefully inspired other people to be like... Do you know what I've always wanted to or I had this idea and I thought it wasn't for me that's the biggest impact actually that's the biggest was thrown. um someone came back to me saying that she was watching it with her husband and her husband because at the end I did a bit of like you know who's going to be next like who's the next speaker who's the next you know organizer and sure. and we were the only TEDx uh, women event this year in Scotland so you know I started with saying like yay but also what <laughs> You know, where are my ladies at? Um, so she was saying that her, her husband heard that and, and wants to organize something, sort of celebrating the women in his work. And I just thought, do you know what? That's, that's exactly. If yeah, one person has been inspired by this, then that's, that's all I can ask for, really. It's, really. it's really important that you did it, especially this year, I think. So well done, Maureen. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you for being part of the team and being there sure. and platforming our speakers as well. You could feel the passion on the yeah. day. Everybody wanted it to go well and, and everybody had put so much time and effort and thought into their, their talks and, and you know, yeah. the effort that you put into to pulling the event together. But also, you know, it's a big deal presenting and being in front of the camera. Usually you would <laughs> the camera, I would imagine, as a filmmaker. So. I know. <laughs> lessons lessons everywhere yeah no definitely <laughs> being out of my comfort zone also helped me feel like you know I wasn't a total imposter about fearless and you know I was there and it felt right to be in the arena you know do you know about that quote that I keep coming back to Brené Brown about vulnerability and and I think her second she's got like two or three TEDx talks or TED talks but she keeps coming back to that one quote about the man in the arena I'm paraphrasing here, but basically saying that um, if you're not in the arena getting your hands dirty and, you know, sweating blood, then she doesn't really want your opinion. (laughs) And I just thought that's exactly right. It felt like it felt like we were all in the arena and it felt right on that day. Congratulations. And I look forward to the TEDx Commonwealth Women event. Yay! I am absolutely delighted to be speaking this morning to Elisa Yanakoni, who was one of yesterday's amazing speakers. Welcome, Elisa. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the Broad and the Brave. Thank you so much for having me. 
Where am I speaking to you from? Where are you at the moment? I'm currently in Johannesburg in South Africa. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, wow. This podcast just gets further and further afield, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've gone proper international. <laughs> That's it. I've made it now. I've made it. <laughs> Elisa, you, as a, as a cinematographer, first and foremost, approaching something like doing a TEDx talk, is that something that invokes fear? Yeah, I think it definitely invokes a certain level of nervousness. I'm a weird cinematographer because I do enjoy speaking quite a lot and I do it sometimes so it wasn't as scary as it might have been for someone who's only strictly behind the camera all the time but I do have to say that it's a weird combination <laughs> um, it was something where overcoming fear was necessary and I'm just really happy that it happened. Can you give us a bit of a insight into the work that you do your films and um, how you came to get in touch with Maureen who ran yesterday's event and, and- be part of yesterday's lineup? So I have a really strong focus on human rights and social issues. I'm a bit of a crossover between uh, purely film world and sometimes documentary and journalism. So for the last 12 years, I've worked in about 45 countries covering all different kinds of stories. Sometimes they are you know, humanitarian crises or conflict areas, um, which is some of the things I mentioned in my TED Talk, but um, it's quite a broad range. And basically, I've recently started a company called Reframe House, and the whole objective is to reframe people's views on issues around the world and present them in new ways that they might not have thought about. So I really like stories that challenge me to think visually, you know, when you hear of a war zone or where you hear of sexual violence or something like this, how can you present it in a way that's not been seen before or that's been always strictly presented in a very traditional way? And how do we break that mold? And then basically I connected with Maureen over LinkedIn. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So we, that, we've we never actually met in person and I'm really, really looking forward to eventually meeting her. She is a really amazing woman. Um, and then just got chatting and told her a little bit about what I did and she invited me to be a part of it. And I was really excited. So that was basically how it all come together. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and I understand that Maureen is also involved in filmmaking, so that was like a lovely yes. opportunity for you both to, to connect. And I, I guess the experience of being a woman and being a filmmaker, a cinematographer, that is a very unique experience for each person. What has been your experience of being a woman in that in that industry? I mean, certainly you're you're always in the minority, and whenever you find you know, another cinematographer or somebody working in the field that's female, you're like, yes, <laughs> it does feel great. Um, oftentimes the team is, is predominantly male and this kind of thing, but I love it. I mean, I think more and more there are women entering this field and women who are entering lighting and, and more technical roles that were initially traditionally much more male driven. But now I think that there's a real shift and people are realizing that the female gaze that is really valuable and that we can contribute something that, you know, hadn't necessarily been explored as much before. So I'm just really happy to do my job and it's really great to connect with other people when, when I find other fellow cinematographers. <laughs> Absolutely. And your talk yesterday, it was very moving and you were very open. I was so impressed by everyone, you know, in that respect that everyone really 
you know, had their heart in their sleeve and offered up their experiences to inspire, to move, to connect with other people. And I'm sure your story resonated with so many. When you were asked to to be involved in the event and, of course, speak, were you clear about what you were going to speak about, what you were going to disclose of your experience, or was that a bit of a battle in itself to decide what to open up about you? Um, you know, because I spent probably about six years creating a project on sexual violence, because I obviously, as you heard from my talk, I'm a rape survivor myself. Um, initially, I was tending to gravitate exclusively to that. But then once Maureen told us that we weren't going to be able to have slides and visuals, the project that I worked on as a camera woman, obviously, was very, very visual. So then I started thinking, well, I wanted to present the fact that it's a much more multifaceted story and that's just one incident that happened in my life but there's so many things that I've experienced by traveling so much and connecting with so many different cultures so I thought it was just quite interesting how you know cinematography it's one of those things where it allows you to connect with people in such empathetic ways and learn so much about different points of view and I just thought that that would be a really nice way to put it forward so I decided to make it more about the cinematography experience and then also entwine a little bit of my personal story with it. In terms of that idea of, of fearless, you as a cinematographer would have been, I'm sure, witness to so many other people's ability to be fearless. Have there been standout moments where in your work out in the field, like you say, you have been witness to, to people just being the epitome of fearless in, in your opinion? I mean, for me... I'm still on the fence as to whether pure fearlessness is truly possible because I generally find that the moment that we're fearless is once we've conquered a fear, come out the other side and seen that we're able to overcome it. And the moments in my travels where I have seen people seem fearless, it's generally because they've experienced or undergone a certain level of trauma that's caused such extreme forms of pain, such losses that they have gone through, that in that moment they will appear to be fearless, but it's really that you know they feel they have nothing left to lose. They feel like their life itself might not be valuable and that they can risk everything now so is that fearlessness or is that pain um mm. i don't know so you know i think i think fearlessness carries with it a, a really positive view in society like we want to be fearless and confront but i don't know that i'm ever truly fearless when i'm facing something scary i fear that i have to pull from resilience or courage or different things to, to go through it and that's very valuable and then I'm only ever fearless once I'm like, okay, I did it and, and nothing happened and I'm all right. So, I mean, I don't know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this podcast is called The Broad and the Brave. I guess that, you know, that idea, like you're saying, like once you come through something, it's almost like you've you've got that armour built on you. And yeah, it must, it's such a privilege, I, I imagine, to be witness to other people's situations and to go into worlds that are maybe very unknown to you and be able to tell other people's stories and the sensitivity around that trying to stay true to a story have there been standout stories that you have been able to share that just have, have stayed with you and, and taught you you know a significant lesson oh my goodness so many <laughs> you know it, it, it's hard to pick one but certainly I think the moments that have stayed with me the most 
are moments where I get to witness that instance where somebody loses that which they love the most. And it can be a child, it can be their husband, it can be a dear friend. Uh, and many times in these situations, it's out of the blue. It might be, it might have been an illness or it might have been a war or a conflict or, or something like this. And, you know, it might have been a, a, a cyclone or a, or a humanitarian disaster. And it's incredible to see the multiple responses, the, the shades of gray, you know, that, that, that mm. humans can, can turn to. Because some people, as we'd mentioned before, turn to feeling there's nothing more left to lose. And they gain this, this crazy amount of power in that instance where they feel they can go to the ends of the earth because they're fueled by that power. Other people get crushed and collapse. Other people can't function. And then there are others that are just kind of in this state of limbo of not being able to feel. And it's just witnessing this trauma. And that, as a cinematographer, is one of the most dangerous times to be covering something because the level of emotional volatility, especially when this is happening in mass, lots of mm -hmm. people experience this at the same time. It's hard to judge sometimes, you know, can I cover this story in an empathetic and respectful way, you know, while somebody's going through the ultimate of grief to showcase the atrocities that are taking place and not intrude on them too much? And some people welcome that and they really want you to showcase what's happening. And other people just do not want you there. And I think most of the time, the best form is just operating as a bit of a gray man where people don't even know that you're there. You know, you're just kind of in the shadows, just operating in a way, picking up what you can, but always being very, very alert to what's going on. So those stories always hit me quite hard. And I, I certainly always need a bit of time to decompress from them because they're very emotional. I wonder, like, when you were a young person growing up, was cinematography, was becoming a filmmaker always the goal? Mm. Well... You know, funny enough, I was quite a sick child growing up. I had a lot of um, respiratory problems. And so I spent a lot of time at home. And I found such escapism in films, documentaries and movies that could transport me to different lands and to places where everything was okay and where things could be better and this kind of thing. And I think when I turned 12 is when I really discovered that filmmaking was going to be a huge part of my life. And that's what I wanted to do. I initially thought I wanted to be a film director. And I do have to say that, you know, sometimes I, I transition when I'm making smaller projects between directing and cinematography. But uh, I fell in love with images when I was in university. I was given a camera and shot on film and 16 millimeter and had to really just go through the whole process of shooting something without knowing what you got and then waiting for the film to be developed. And once I saw the results, I was just so, so enthralled by, by, by controlling the lights and the colors and the textures and how you can use the visuals to, to tell a story and to re-emphasize emotion and what people are feeling through angles and framing. So I, I fell in love with it. And, and ever since it's just, it's just it. <laughs> <laughs> And this year obviously has been very difficult for, for everyone, and, you know, for various reasons. How has 2020 been for you? It has been a roller coaster. <laughs> so I moved with my husband to London in early January. He's South African, which is the reason I'm here at the moment. And it was a very bizarre time because obviously we got caught in the Brexit COVID sandwich, which was interesting to say the least. And I had several projects lined up for, for the rest of the year, which all started to fall through. Um, so for a couple months, I had absolutely nothing going. 
And it was really in that moment that I just thought, what do I really want to do with my life right now? And that's why I started my company, Reframe House, which was an idea I'd had for several years. And I'd even built a website and taken it down and all this kind of stuff. I had a logo for like four years, you know. And I just knew, you know, this is the time to really go back and think, what's my life plan? And I started that and, yeah, I was able to, when Lockdown East, shoot a music video in Iceland put my creativity to the test and look for projects that I really valued. So at the moment I'm in South Africa, um, creating a project to raise awareness on the war in Cameroon, working with several people that have been displaced as a result from it. Um, but it's always trying to find ways, as I mentioned before, to, to present these topics in an unusual or unexpected way, working with color, with texture, with the realm of the imagination, but most importantly, making sure that through my work, I'm not re-victimizing the victims. I like them to feel empowered. These are multifaceted human beings that have been through a lot and don't deserve to be placed in that kind of black and white in a corner space where they're surrounded by a horrible environment. I want people to look at themselves and feel proud of the image they're putting out to the world and sharing their story in a way that they feel strong. Um, so that's basically what I've been up to. And little by little, it's picking up again. <laughs> it's certainly a time that's allowed for introspection. It's a time where everybody has been suffering in one way or another. We all know someone also that's you know had COVID or some people have had it. And, and it's just a time for us to truly reflect on what's most important and and what we value what we cherish you know disconnection from people from the world has forced us to really understand what we crave the most and i think it, it's certainly a time where we've realized that being with people that we love connection and 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 friendships and all these things are, are really the most valuable part of life when you take that away you realize just how much you miss it and it's been mm. i think that introspection has led us a lot of us to really go, okay, I'm going to do this now <laughs> and see yeah. how it goes. And you mentioned empowerment, your willingness and your want to empower the people that you are, you know, you are filming, you're documenting their, their situations. And I felt that that was really the theme of, kind of side theme of yesterday, although the, the topic mm. was fearless. I felt like everyone, they would have felt that all the speakers were empowered because they had the opportunity to speak their truth. And I know that was that was a, a lot, you know, a big part of your talk, but also just that being a part of a, that event and hearing those stories that it would have empowered other people and hearing your story and the story of the other speakers to to maybe speak their truth as well. Being heard and being able to share your story with others is such a privilege and listening to other people being vulnerable and and really putting sometimes their deepest darkest fears or secrets out into the open to make sure that if others are going through that you know they know they're not alone and and fe and hearing it from all these wonderful women i mean i felt wonderful and i felt deeply moved the whole time i have to say i, I was pushing back tears with several of the talks um and i just felt this endless gratitude and and support almost like a sisterhood um which is truly truly a wonderful place to be especially with people that we've never met so yeah it was really a wonderful experience if you were to take one thing away what has yesterday's event taught you you know what I think? I think for me, it's something that I already, I think I knew, but it just reinforced it. 
which is the fact that we are just never alone and everyone is fighting their inner battle and we just have to tread carefully when we're dealing with people because we do not know their journey and everyone in the world has had dark moments and we I feel like if we can just operate from that place of respect when we meet someone new and understand that whatever their behaviors they come from somewhere and they're speaking their own truth I think it's a way to to make us realize that we can be more empathetic and there is such power in numbers and in connection by sharing our stories by sharing our darkness by befriending that darkness we make it okay to not be okay and everybody's not okay at one point or another so i think those were the lessons i walked away with if you were to to say anything to the next lot of tedx common old women speakers what would you say to them oh i'd say just say yes and just Put your vulnerability out there because you will be supported. There is a world out there that will support you, uphold you, respect you, and, and walk with you as, you as you put the scariest bits of yourself out there. That's what I would say. Susanna Ling, welcome to The Bra and the Brave. Thank you so much. It's lovely to connect with you uh, on the day after. And like you were saying before we started recording, it was all consuming yesterday I'm sure I'm sure you received so many messages of support and so many people connected with your your talk and 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 let me just say at this moment in time like I thought you were amazing you did such an amazing job and and just thank you thank you for your talk yesterday oh that's um that's really kind gosh I'm still quite overwhelmed with it all even just hearing other people like I said to you just before we started recording this I'm still properly digesting it um, the whole experience, because obviously it's very different virtually, but it still felt, I could still hear people's stories. Um, and just the, the connection was just, I think at this time as well, it was something I needed. I think we all needed yesterday's event and it was really quite special that it was able to go ahead, albeit you know, remotely and virtually. It just seemed that so many people were touched and moved and inspired by yourself and all the other speakers opening up and being very honest about their experiences. No, and I think that really helps right now. Like I know for me, um, I think it's really easy to get lost in ourselves and forget that we're all struggling in our own way and we're coping in our own way. And if we just keep sharing and connecting, we can help build each other rather than build like a wall between us do you know what I mean and yesterday it felt like all those walls were shattered and we were able to go like really reach out and connect for me connection and talking has been key to my recovery but even life and anything I do um I definitely lean on a lot of my friends just to I was going to say purge <laughs> in a non-bulimic way but like purge what's going on in my head just to make sense of it sometimes and go okay yeah, it's a very cathartic experience, I think, just to, to share your story. That, that Often that's what people say on this podcast when they come on. Um, it can be quite a uplifting experience, even though yesterday you were sharing something that was very difficult, I'm sure, to share. Yeah, it was. It was. So because I wanted to just deliver it like authentically as I could, it felt like I was reliving it and remembering the process of things like I just completely forget like 10 years ago where I was 
you know, sometimes I was dancing this morning, right? As I do, just to get my energy and work out. I love that. And I was going, gosh, the times I spent with my head just down the toilet, not doing this and just trying to see that I can live life and just feel good. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I just had that realization. I was just thinking of that and I was going, because sometimes I forget where I was. So it's important for me to go back and remember when I go to beat myself up or things, you know, like I, I, start, I go, you nearly died, you know, where exactly I was. And I think for me yesterday, and I still feel it right now talking, it's hard to say you're proud of yourself because I, I don't ever want to become arrogant because that's not what I'm saying. But to, to hear my journey, I went, okay, you're doing it and you can help other people, hopefully. Absolutely. You should be proud of yourself. To, to share your story the way you did yesterday is massively brave. You know, we're talking about the, the, the theme being fearless and I'm sure there, there was fear there, but you, you did it anyway. Totally, totally. And I think one thing I shared in my talk and it was something only I realized was I, I had to trust in so many things that I had no, I had to trust in the unknown. So many things in my recovery have been, had to be fearless because everything I knew didn't work. When you were asked to, to be a part of yesterday's TEDx Common Old Women event, were you quite clear from the offset about what you were going to speak about? No, or no. was it just, <laughs> did you? <laughs> because I still love to self-sabotage anything. <laughs> There's like two roads. One is so clear and one's yep. got potholes. And I go, hmm, where am I going to go? <laughs> and, and why do you think you said no initially? Um, I didn't feel good enough. It was that silly head, you know, that I think we all suffer from. And there's many times I've not felt good enough, but I do it anyway. Many things, because I think a lot of people might see me as confident. And I think there's a difference. And maybe I am confident when I commit to something and do it, but it doesn't mean... I haven't had the self-doubt or fear. Yeah, totally connect with that, 100%. I just, yeah, it was definite. I was, I was like, why would someone want to listen to me? But, you know, that horrible self-talk, and then I had to go back, and it was again, that was, I was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that to yourself? Well, surely now, you know, seeing everyone's reaction, now the self-talk is definitely, thank goodness. Absolutely, absolutely. I had a couple of people even message me that opened up to me that hadn't publicly or or even spoken to someone else about their bulimia. And that's exactly what what you want, that someone feels, you know, free enough to do that. I try to, it's very hard because I think everyone's life story, they've got a million TED Talks in them, don't they? I mean, you've just mm-hmm. literally taken little pieces. But I was just trying to show enough or speak enough about the depths of it, just in case there is someone out there, because this is how I thought that didn't have it as bad you know even friends I've had that were bulimic on and off for a little bit of school or something and there's different degrees and it doesn't have to just be that but I think sometimes we forget we're actually maybe not alone I think as well what I was trying to realize was it's not just about being bulimic I could use anything to numb any sort of pain especially because I've always just wanted to numb my pain in some way and for a while it worked like I thought I could only be successful while numbing my pain because it made me immune to many things but then it overtook and made me immune to everything not immune but numb to everything and you were saying yesterday as an actor you are well rehearsed and in, in playing a character and you the way you likened that to your situation with bulimia and that you were 
almost like playing someone else but in the background this was all going on moving forward in your life since that time and in, in, in your recovery do you feel that you're able to be more yourself and less playing a character absolutely like I said yeah I was obsessed even from a young age of not being me but what I've learned and I forgot and it's it's interesting what I love about acting is the anonymity in the sense that I can bring parts of myself to any character and no one will know that necessarily and I've learned that I've really learned that and even if it's a heightened character over the top you can totally bring yourself into it you know I even remember one of my favorite I, I love Anthony Hopkins right I'm just obsessed yes. with him and I remember watching his interview in Silence of the Lambs and he said how much of him was in that character and I was like yes <laughs> like I understood you know that we have that rage we have all of that and if you allow yourself to tap into um well I say this as a performer but if you allow yourself to tap into your feelings you can bring it out in healthy ways so I mean in many ways, my my work now comes from all of that, if that makes sense, and being me yeah, under a different character, absolutely. but it is me. <laughs> and that's not to take away from the fact that, you know, that obviously you are a trained actor, but at the end of the day yesterday, you were very much opening up and being yourself. You know, in my opinion, that doesn't take it away from the vulnerability. Okay, you might be rehearsed and standing up in front of a crowd, right. but like you're saying, when you are being an actor, you are playing a character you know yesterday it was that rawness it was that that bravery well I've got my name to it it's not yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah and I'm sure that's that's liberating in a lot of ways then you know to move forward to to say that you know I've done that and do you think now that you've done it once I'm not sure if you've done it before would you be more inclined to say yes the next time absolutely I mean so I do share a fair bit but just smaller shares like in recovery rooms on different things um but nothing like this I mean this is this is going out to the world like I was reflecting and I thought you know what they don't tell you about recovery yeah there's just so many things I I feel like I didn't say but you only have 15 minutes so you've got to make sure you know it's just a difficult thing isn't it it's not as easy as there's a process which I hope people will get that you don't just go from, I need help, and then suddenly life's better, I have to feel the pain. There's a long process to lots of different things I went through physically, with my body especially. But um, it was very liberating in a way. I find it having, as I said to you, being obsessed, not being me, to be me. In terms of the theme of fearless, is that something that you would consider yourself to be? Hmm. I think so. My whole life I've made decisions and they've been very fearless on things I've done. Whether they worked out for the good or not, I don't know. But I have been fearless a lot. Yeah. Um, I think now the fearless I am is a healthier fearless. Does that make sense? Yes. Because definitely when I was bulimic, I made some fearless decisions that were not, that were dangerous. I was in very dangerous situations, you know, and, but I would definitely, yeah, I was an intro, yeah, fearless. I would say, I probably would say I am. You know, this podcast is about people and their passions. What are you passionate about? What drives you towards that fearlessness? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would probably say 
I just, I really want to connect with people. I want to share openly and as honestly as we can. It makes me feel whole. I feel a sense of purpose. Yeah, I think sometimes when I put some of my work out there, I'm, I feel a lot of fear, but I'll do it anyway in the hope that it will reach who it needs to reach. Um, whether it be entertainment or whether it be, you know, just to make positive impacts, I think, as well, on my life and other people. I very much connect with what you're saying. Like, sometimes you put something out there and you're like, oh, why am I putting this out there? But it's almost like I need to because you you need that connection. You want that connection. You hope that someone, what you're doing will resonate with someone else. Totally. And it might not reach... I mean, invariably, we can get disappointed because, you you know, you, we can have friends that go, no, nah, I don't get it. Other friends that love it, you know, and it's it's not having that judgment when we put it out, which is the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. And just, again, trusting it, it will reach what it's meant to reach, which is really difficult. Moving forward after yesterday, and I know you're saying it's still very much ruminating and you're still very much feeling the effects. Do you feel that? you've got a renewed sense of that purpose or passion to continue to tell your story and share your experiences I do actually and it was interesting because I actually wrote a film and I was hoping to do it last year I mean this year but obviously lockdown but it's made me want to revisit again some of the script which is in a good way just to make sure you know, just what I'm saying, just to, it's along the similar lines of things I've been talking about. But what it's done is it's really made me want to do, do that and really tell stories that are other people's as well in that way. Yeah, I mean, I've been scared at putting some, I mean, some of my stuff I've been scared at putting out because I keep thinking, oh, I've got to put cheerful stuff out all the time. And sometimes I can be really intense, but I also love to laugh, right? And I'll laugh mm-hmm. daily, but it's trying to get that that balance isn't it and not judging yeah. myself but I think after that I'm kind of wobbling but what I'm saying is after that thing yesterday I thought put out what you need to put out because someone will need to hear and I enjoy doing it and collaborating I think that's the other thing collaborating with other people that want to tell stories you did a bit of a u-turn on your decision to to speak mm-hmm. yesterday and if you were to give any advice to future TEDx Cumbernauld women speakers what would your advice be? sit with it first let yourself digest it once you've been asked and think about also the reasons why they've asked you so what they're asking you for because they see something in you there's something interesting they want I would say say yes take that and tell your story and I don't feel and this is something I wrote about 20 pages and then literally had a sharpie through most of it because through that I was finding I was going do I have to prove my worth here to be here and I just kept going this isn't important this is important because you're already worthy even if you're not speaking and I think I was like we just want to hear your story and just write it all out and then really pick out the points does that make sense? A hundred percent I love what you said there about you were already worthy without speaking and that's that's an absolute truth if there is that burning desire, I mean, it's fine if, if something's not for you, if you don't feel it, you know, that it is for you, that it's okay to go with the gut. If you do want to, but you've just got all that negative self-talk, like you're saying, I think it is important to 
to sit with it first before you yeah before you say no I mean <laughs> if you talk to a bunch of actors as well before we go on stage it's like don't talk to me what am I doing I don't even know my line I don't know my line and then you get on and you're like I've arrived <laughs> you know <laughs> so when someone sees that it's hard for them to believe that you're almost like you know doing what you were doing just before you get on stage um <laughs> yeah so I think that's a thing as well I mean we have social media we have our other things we don't see what goes on the vulnerability before it I think when you tell your story and your truth that's enough we can't criticize that in someone we can't say oh that didn't happen because it's their story and their truth and I think that's relevant to this year as well like everyone's experience of 2020 is important and relevant and relative to them and of course people have endured terrible suffering and loss and you know but I think it's okay for us all to to sit with how how it's affected us and, and say that 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 happened to me and then return to that kind of almost that gratitude for what you do have yeah I think gratitude is a massive thing I think what you just said absolutely not ever dismissing what you you have or gone you're feeling someone's always gonna have it better and worse you know and I I definitely know I have you know really beat myself up in years I you know my upbringing I was very lucky and I got lots of opportunities and things and I think I always felt guilty that why am I feeling this way and it has nothing to do with that how much you have you your feelings are still completely valid from yesterday's event and listening to the other speakers is there one thing that you know I'm sure there's several but is there one kind of standout thing that is sitting quite strong with you at this moment in time just again the power to share and connect and especially now more than ever to know it's okay not to be okay it doesn't doesn't make you not doesn't make you a success to say I'm okay when you're not and it doesn't make your failure to say I'm not okay and I think Mm -hmm. just when we have the ability to connect as much as possible the benefit other people get from it when you don't even know is really empowering I feel it would be wrong with me not to share my recovery because I actually I thought I was so special in a way that I couldn't get it. I was done. So the fact that I have got it, I want people to know they can. So that's important for me. So from yesterday, that's what I heard from different people telling different stories as well, how important that was. Alongside all the other speakers, I think you should be proud of yourself. I think you should give yourself that space to that pat in the back or whatever it needs to be um and moving forward like I just wish you all the best and um I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next Susie oh my god yeah I mean that's I mean that's so kind and I really really appreciate that um I really really do this is just lovely to start a Tuesday morning it's rather dreek outside but we'll see it's definitely sunny in here because I am speaking to Jojo Fraser. Good morning Jojo. Good morning, thank you for having me. Not at all, it's an absolute pleasure. Congratulations for a wonderful talk that I'm sure connected and resonated with a lot of people. How do you feel after Sunday at this point? Oh thank you, so relieved and and so um, just so happy with the feedback so far you know and someone said gripping and I was like oh Okay, I'll take that. Gripping. That's a good word. That's yes. the sort of word you want, right? Because you, yeah, the inner critic still comes and you, you've just got to quieten that mind down and, and, and keep like speaking from the heart. Um, so that's kind of what I try my best to do. 
and uh, yeah, that's when that's when you move people, I guess, when you're present in your body and you're you're kind of you're giving it your all. Um, so try my best, and all the other speakers were amazing. So I was so inspired after it, you know. That's the thing. Like the everyone's talk was just so unique and so different, but like all together, it was just such a, a powerful message of like speak your truth, be fearless, be yourself. And I loved your. Um, Wizzy wig, what you see is what you get, and I think that's just so important. Like in a in an age where we quite often, because of social media and stuff, you're posting your best bits, your highlights, real. It is important to show all sides of you and who you really are. I think. Yeah, it's it's so much more fulfilling as well when you can show up. I mean, I think I have been that way for quite a lot of my life. I mean, when I was a kid, I was really shy, but. Um, I don't know if it was drama and acting when I discovered that about nine years old that brought it out of me or I'm not sure or maybe it was just something that just came naturally but when I was showing up as myself you know it just just made me happy you know really happy just to to feel that you know I could just be who I was and, and speak the truth and you know, it didn't have to be perfect. I guess it was learning as well when you hear people say, oh, that person thinks you're too intense or they, they said, they, yeah, they just, you're not their sort of person. And, you know, when you're younger, it's easier to, to, to sort of listen to the ego and be like, oh, they think that? How could they? How rude? And you think, well, I know nothing about this person that said this. So they're entitled to their opinion. And, you know, maybe they just like really sort of, quieter people or you know but at the same time when we pigeonhole people there's a great quote um someone had said it's like I don't like that person oh I should really get to know them better and I think that's great because it's really easy to make snap judgments about people you know the person that said to me in my 20 well to someone about me in my 20s she's too intense well actually if they got to know me they would know that the people closest to me would say I'm the calmest most chilled grounded person you know what I mean they come to me for advice but I've got this sort of intense side too where I'm singing and dancing and being a bit of a rag so (laughs) you know it's like get to know someone a bit more I think the more that you open your mind and your heart to other people's stories that that's educating yourself that the world is full of different people who have different experiences which you can learn from yeah it's being open-minded isn't it it's it's being prepared to have a really great conversation with everyone you meet even if you know there's you know sometimes there's barriers up and you can feel those barriers you can sort of feel the energy from a person you know and sometimes it can take a bit longer to get to know some people but um I think we've all got something amazing to share haven't we so it's just absolutely and that was the joy of Sunday's TEDx coming all the women because it just did feel like a total education and that everyone that was speaking albeit you know it was online but just even the comments box you could just see everybody was just totally on board and totally behind everyone and it was just lovely and I know as a mental health researcher and author and podcaster that you're accustomed to speaking in front of crowds but how did you feel when Maureen asked you to be a part of this year's event? Yeah I was buzzing because I'd helped coach some of the speakers last year and I absolutely loved seeing them come to life 
uh, on the stage and I also felt that pang of jealousy like I wish I was up there too you know yeah. like I, I want to do that I want I want that you know that feeling of sharing my story and on such an amazing platform that is TEDx so um when when the invite came in I was like yes don't get me wrong I could hear all the fear and stuff too like can you do this you've had quite a rocky year you know your family are going to be concerned are you ready to take on this challenge after being so unwell at the start of the year but yeah it's something I've wanted to do for a while so I was just like I have to make this happen I think because the theme was fearless it it was just perfect for my story about you know that vision of always wanting to to smash that stigma of mental health and it's you know you think all lots of people are talking more openly about mental health now that's great I've noticed a huge shift in the six years I've been sort of campaigning but it still can be the hardest job in the world (laughs) you know there is still millions and millions of people that are afraid to talk out and I thought I have to talk about that I have to encourage more people to share and to not feel ashamed of like the word psychotic you know the media has a lot to answer for yeah it's created some amazing movies but we carry these labels with us and we pigeonhole people you know if you're psychotic that you're really scary you're you know you're a murderer you well actually no and 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 breaking down these kind of stereotypes I just thought it's quite a fearless thing to do um, doesn't mean I'm not afraid, but it was just, it was the perfect theme for it. I just like putting a different perspective. Like there was a bit of a twist on my talk with a virus and some people didn't know what to expect. So I'll just, yeah, just doing something a little bit, a little bit different. You were talking about having compassion for yourself and ju- just like you were saying there, just about normalising discussions about mental health. Like we can't talk about it enough because everybody has mental health and we all have to look after it. And um, if you have bouts of mental ill health, that it needs to be more normalised, like you can share and that people will understand and be compassionate. And and that, then that allows you to be compassionate for yourself, I guess. Compassion is so key. I mean, I got to interview a guy, um, Paul Gilbert. He's the founder of Compassion Based Therapy and I actually interviewed him just a few weeks after I got out of hospital. Um, and you know, this is what everyone's talking about now in the therapy room, just to find ways to put compassion into the mix. You know, everyone, no matter if you've had a mental illness or you've just got, you know, struggling with your mental health, everyone feels a sense of shame, right? It's it's the lowest vibrational state. If you look at the vibrational scale, right, you've got like love and joy and peace and stuff at the top. And the lowest ones are, you know, fear and shame and doubt. And to be human, we all need to have these this range of emotions, right? You need the light and the shade to be on earth, right? But yeah. um, it's just encouraging people to challenge, you know, yes, we're all going to fe- feel those darker feelings, but just to challenge them a little bit more. And compassion is the perfect way to do that. At the start of the year, you know, being hospitalized against my will and my mind telling me things that weren't right and losing a touch of reality the sense of reality a lot of that I think was down to the lack of sleep because when I was in that really creative manic state I was getting up in the night and it was like there wasn't the awareness there to go right Joel you need to sleep this is going to be really bad for you it was like you know I'd lost that awareness and I've always protected my sleep and I think for me that gave me a real sense of what it's like to be in the head of someone with trauma because when I had trauma 
it was like there was a demon in my body some days where I would say things like to family members that I would never say. Like people have always said to me my whole life, you're too nice, you're too nice. Well, this was a whole different, this was a feisty woman, you know, and I would take no prisoners and I would really challenge anyone that challenged me. And it was mainly my closest circle that challenged me. But, um, oh, I'd be so angry. I've never experienced rage like it in my life. But when I came out the other side, I was like, well, that was the illness. That wasn't me. It was, you know, I would never speak like that to, to someone. You know, that was not me. So I've always said, like, love the trolls, right? Give the trolls love. And it, it made it even more so kind of real for me because for someone on the internet to be saying things, now I didn't do any of that, but for someone who perhaps isn't challenging their family, but they're challenging strangers on the internet and they're, they've taken this anger there, a lot of these people must have so much trauma, so much pain to be lashing out that way, you know? Yeah, I think it's just always trying to see another side. Um, and it was really hard when I was judged by some people. And you think, oh, that really hurt. Like, if people write you off, they're like, surely they know, they know me, though, and they know who I am, you know? But then you don't know, maybe it was just too much. And if, if I'm saying to someone, oh, you're a terrible supporter, whatever I'm saying, you know, well, maybe that was too much for them to hear at that point in their life, you know? You speaking out as you did so eloquently about your experience that you would have educated people and made them think twice yeah I think for me like don't take anything personally is the the theme of the first chapter in my book um and that came from dad so I knew I really have been sort of banging this drum for six years because I took dad's illness personally initially and then it was the whole understanding oh it's not personal at all it's an illness and then he comes back to earth as himself and you know you forget a lot of stuff you know when you're in a sort of you're going through psychosis or you know you're delusional you forget a lot of stuff so dad said to me I can't remember that I can't remember saying that to you I can't remember saying I didn't want you to visit and to go away and stuff you know so yeah when I went through it six years later it was like yep I can confirm it really wasn't personal because now I've been there too, you know, it's not personal. So, but people can take things personally, even if it's just someone's really stressed, like it doesn't have to be a full on mental illness. It could be, you know, you're feeling really anxious that day. So you don't want to go somewhere or, you know, you're, you're really stressed about something. So you just, you feel really low and you just need to have a day on the sofa. But then people, the ego in us would be like, well, why can't they make the effort? I'm, I'm a not, you know, you see these quotes that really actually annoy me. If someone wants to be there, they'd be there. And it's kind of like subtle manipulation because, well, maybe they, maybe they do really want to be there, but they're not mentally strong enough to be there. Gosh, if there's any, any year to cut people a bit of slack, I think it's 2020 for sure. <laughs> what a year. <laughs> In terms of like um, a takeaway for you personally from Sunday's event, whether that is to do with you know your your talk being out there and, and having that rapport with people afterwards and them sending you messages or just generally from everyone's talk what was your resounding takeaway from the event there was so many like every talk I got something out of it I mean and then it was it's an acronym Sylvia had spoken about feel the fear feel emotion and rise you know for fear and it was just, and, and everyone was speaking about that kind of fear. And it was, it was basically, you know, the research I've been speaking about, about shame and stuff. You know, this came up on, in all of the talks, right? You know, that, that sense of shame or fear or, or guilt or, you know, these old stories that aren't 
you know, they, they stick with us and we just need to like challenge them. So it was just a sort of um, really confirming everything I, I believe in. And, and just when you see people and you think they're standing up there and they're saying, oh, they had a, a sense of shame. And you think, really, really, you know, it, just that we're all the same and we all experience these kind of low vibe emotions and when you challenge them though and you do it because no one did the talk and said I regret doing this right we all felt fear yeah I really wanted to do it but I was still scared and it would have been easier just to say no maybe next time maybe it's not the year but I sort of remembered that feeling of being so happy for the the girls I'd coached and and, but thinking I really want to be up there with you you know so when you get a feeling it's listening to that, you know, and and that's not from the head. Like when I was watching the speakers last year and I had that feeling like, yeah, I want to do this. I'm so like buzzing for them and I, I want to have this experience. You know, that was more from the heart, that kind of feeling. So it's just like tuning in to your heart, really. And a lot of people spoke about that. And I thought that was quite magic. For you, what what is your kind of definition of bra brave? So the bra and the brave, I would say, is feeling the fear, allowing yourself, as I've said about, you know, feeling the lower, the lower vibration stuff. So feel the fear, feel the rage. So it's feeling these emotions, sitting with them for a little bit so that you're in tune and then making some noise, like using your voice, being, um, you know, stepping out of your comfort, comfort zone and, and just yeah trying to be kind with it but but using your voice to create the change that you want to see and then if you can inspire other people to to be more and to be more of themselves not less then then you're a leader right and we all want we're all born to lead but we don't all do it because of fear and because of this stuff so it's allowing yourself to feel it but then just bashing on no matter what the consequences you know some people will be like you've over you've overshared or that's confronting you know but I've actually had people that have said to me, oh, you shared so much. But then maybe a year later, they're like, oh, actually, I really did need to hear that and it encouraged me to share. So, you know, at first, for some people, you know, you might get a bit of backlash. Like, how can you talk so openly about this stuff? Um, and it can take time, you know, for people to, to connect with that. But you just got to do it anyway, as long as you've got good intentions. Because anyone can be brave. But if you've not got the right intentions, you know, if it's just to win an argument or or whatever, and I've been there when, you know, you, you really feel like something's right, but maybe you should just let it pass. But, yeah, the broad side, I guess, is, you know, being brave, but but with good intentions and, you know, for the for a change that you want to see in the world, because that's when we're fulfilled, right? When we're doing something that creates a positive change, that's so fulfilling. I said in the talk that some said, look, this can be a secret. No one needs to know. I'm thinking, well, that would make me the biggest fraud ever if I'm been campaigning to get people to talk openly and to share. And then I don't share my own trauma. (laughs) That wouldn't go down very well. And that that really, really didn't sit with me right. It It just felt wrong. It's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to speak to you today. And I just wish you all the best moving forward. And Thank you for for being so broad and brave. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me and uh, for tuning in. And uh, yeah, keep doing the amazing stuff you're doing. Broad and the brave, that's so good. So I will say that I am delighted to be speaking 
to Sylvia Baldock. Hi Lisa, I'm delighted to be here and it's lovely to talk to a fellow Scot when I'm based down in Buckinghamshire, a long way from Glasgow. Well, that's what we were just saying before we started recording. The joy of technology is that things like TEDx, Cumberland Old Women can still go ahead because we are mostly all connected virtually and that's why we're able to do this podcast. And right now, are you feeling good about how everything went down on Sunday? I mean, I, th- I thought it was a great event. I thought Maureen, um, who organised it, did a, a brilliant job, particularly in the light of the pandemic and having to keep changing plans as the lockdown increased in various areas and, uh, you know, then having to brief us as remote speakers and, and what to do and bringing all that together. I think she did an absolutely awesome job. And I thought the quality of speakers was brilliant. And I think sometimes people think, oh, it's just a remote event. It's not going to be nearly as good. And, you know, I agree. You can't beat a face-to-face live event, being in the room, feeling the energy and getting caught up with it all. But considering it was a virtual event, I think that the, the emotion came across really well. I think people's stories came across. I think people presented really well. From a personal point of view, and I know all the speakers will will, um, agree with me, when you're actually in front of a live audience, it takes your energy to a whole different level. So, you know, while I was I was happy with my talk when I watched it back, when I saw it live on Saturday, on Sunday, I just thought, you know, if only I could have been in front of a live audience, it would have just taken it up to a whole new level. But, you know, considering we couldn't do that, I think the production and everything else was was really brilliant. I totally agree. I wholeheartedly agree. I think Maureen did an excellent job. And I think it was wonderful that everybody still embraced that. And just kind of, we're we're almost all going with the flow at the moment. Yeah, but I, I definitely understand what you mean about that live experience about and you know interacting with an audience and that mm. I believe is something that you do on a regular basis so can you give a bit bit of insight into what you do what you're passionate about Sylvia? Absolutely um, yeah I am really really passionate about people uh, connecting to who they are at their core and you'll know from my story that my background is I had a, an incredibly um, strict upbringing and then married a, a husband whose resin detra was to keep me small and you know when when I had shrunk to basic insignificance I vowed that when I got out of that dark place what I wanted to do was to help people who'd been suppressed for whatever reason whether it be a partner or or a bully at work or siblings or friends or whatever it was they've kind of lost sight of themselves um, I just want to work with people like that and help them to reconnect with that unique being that they were born to be and to help people to step up and share their values so that people around them can see what's special and unique about them and you know this really really came home to me far more recently about 10 years ago when I was doing the eulogy at my mother's funeral and my mother had slipped into Alzheimer's oh about five, six years before she died. So we'd essentially lost her anyway. But fortunately, my niece had had the foresight to interview her before she slipped into that abyss of Alzheimer's. And it was wonderful because I had so many rich stories to tell, so much lovely material that I hadn't known previously. Um, And when I shared it at the funeral, so many people came up afterwards and said to me, I wish I'd known that about your mum when she was alive. I'd love to have spoken to her about that. And I thought, 
why is it we, we hide our light under a bushel, we don't talk about ourselves, our experience, we're brought up to be very modest, and it it contains so much of the richness of each and every one of us. And so what I do with my work, which is very much around this becoming more significant, is getting people to look at themselves with fresh eyes, connect with that unique value, find the words and phrases to explain what they do and what they're all about, and then be able to connect with the right people who are going to help them grow, but also the people that they can help to evolve and grow. And, and that's really my life's work, Lisa. You know, when we talked about fearless, I mentioned that that was one of the scary things that I did when I, when I found out having taken an online profile test that, you know, my true value lay in this delivering one to many, i.e. speaking or running workshops or training or masterclasses. And that's what gave me the extra level of confidence to then stretch out of that comfort zone that the brain likes to keep us in and join the Professional Speaking Association, which initially was very scary, but it's made such a difference to me to hang out with professional speakers, to learn from them, be critiqued by them. And even for TEDx, you know, I went online and, and asked my speaker colleagues, OK, what do you recommend as the best webcam? Because up until then, I was using the camera on my Mac or the camera on my iPhone, which are both very good. But when you want to take your yourself to another level in presenting, then you need to up your game in terms of equipment. So I was able to tap into my colleagues and say, OK, what's the best webcam? What's the best microphone? What lighting are you using? And that's invaluable when, when it's just a minefield out there. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Like... I've got so many questions and so many things to remark on. I mean, first and foremost, the overarching takeaway for me was when you said fear, feel emotion and rise. Yeah. And just what you were saying about your mum and that sharing of stories. And, and it's that idea that everybody's story is valuable. Everybody should be able to take up space. And mm. that's to me, sounds like what, what you are trying to inspire and invoke in other people that, you have been through something, you've been made to feel that you weren't able to take up space or have a voice. And now that you've, you've learned that you absolutely are worthy of that, that, that everyone is, everyone has a voice and should ha have the agency to use it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting, Lisa, as you know, I'm living down in England and um, I do a lot of this work down here as well. But for the last couple of years, I've been back up working in Glasgow. I've been traveling up Well, prior to lockdown. I've been traveling up, spending a week in Glasgow every month with clients up there. And I've noticed a difference. People in Glasgow or people in Scotland, they are even less able to talk about themselves than people down in England. So a lot of it is culture and upbringing and, you know, what's been hardwired in us from childhood. And I know I was certainly often told, you know, not to get above my station, young lady. You know, if I came home from school and I'd come top of the class and something and, you know, I told them already. If I mentioned it again later in the evening, it was, okay, you've already told us, don't get above your station, young lady, you know. And that's ingrained in us. And that's why people find it so hard to talk about themselves. And I've been teaching people to network for years. And one of the things people find most difficult is to answer that question, what do you do? Because we're brought up not to talk about religion, politics, or or to ask people what they do. So to try and overcome that mindset 
and talk with confidence about what you do, not just a job title, but to talk about the benefits of the, what you do, the difference you can make to people. People find that so hard and that scary elevator pitch, as people call it, when you get 60 seconds to stand up at an event and talk about yourself and your business. A lot of people won't go if they know they're going to have to do that because, oh, no, I can't. I can't talk about myself. You know, that's one of the areas where I'm really helping people to step up and and to realize the value that they've got and how unique they are and to be able to talk about it, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that feels authentic and real and can resonate with people who need to connect with them most. I love that because, you know, it's not everyone that's going to take to the stage or be front and center but what you do in your life is is significant and makes a difference and touches people whether you are working in a shop or whether you're digging holes in the road or whether you're taking out the bins or everyone has value everyone contributes their very unique self to this world and I think what you're doing is just empowering people to be proud of who they are and that they have an ability to impact others by telling their story and being open and I think that more of that that's really what the podcast is all about we we all have something that we're passionate about and we should be able to share that with other people yes totally you know it doesn't have to be that you're a speaker or a coach or a trainer or anything like that you know you can be creative in in the way you pull a set of accounts together you can be creative in the way you run a project you can be creative in the way you run a home you know it's it's not limited to to people like me who are speaking and presenting but we all have unique gifts it's just that we over the years get so shrouded and diminished by all those negative messages that we hear as we're growing up you know when you think about it all the negative messages you hear even just little things like oh you could have done that better or you know you don't try hard enough or the teacher saying you know tries hard lacks ability you know that old thing on your report or talks too much all those little things they just build up and build up and build up and of course our brains are wired to focus more on the negative messages than the positive messages. So, you know, if you're standing out in front of an audience and everybody's really engaged apart from one person, that one person is the one that you'll focus on. And that's what you remember afterwards. You remember that they were on their phone or they were looking out the window and, and you'll beat yourself up for not being good enough. And yet, you know, we can't please all the people all the time. But we're brought up to think that we can. And, and, you know, when you accept that, do you know what? There's going to be people in this room that don't like what I'm saying, are not interested. Don't worry about them. Focus on the people who are because they're the people that want to be there and they'll get most benefit. And when you switch your mindset to that, and it's not easy to do. I'm saying it glibly. It's not easy to Mm. do. I I can assure you. But when you do, then you focus on the benefit you're giving to those people who want to be there and who are engaged and who are listening and taking it in and and it's going to make a difference. And it's all about mindset, I think, uh, Lisa, and and we can change that in an instance. So you're talking about negative messages coming from the outside world, but actually that negative talk within the head, that kind of imposter syndrome, like what, what are you saying? Why would anybody want to listen to you? That can be really loud as well and can stop us from sharing what we think is important and that could impact on other people in such a positive way. Absolutely. And, and imposter syndrome, it affects everybody. And people that say it doesn't, that they're not they're not telling the truth. They're pretending. I mean, I've worked 
with people at all levels and a lot of you know senior execs and every single one of them suffer from imposter syndrome you know nobody has the monopoly on imposter syndrome and it rears its ugly head at times when you least expect it and again like I, like i mentioned you know feel emotion and rise as an acronym for fear I do believe that you should recognize when you're hearing those internal words, those internal messages and recognize that it is imposter syndrome. And instead of just stuffing it down, it's kind of going, okay, I hear you, but actually I know that I've got real value to share here. I've prepared really well. It might not please everybody, but I'm sure most of the people in this room are going to get real benefit from it. You know, and that's just in a speaking context, but in in whatever you're doing, you know, and you're going into a meeting, you might have a big skeptic in there. Okay, they might not like it, but I know I've prepared really well for this. I am ready to share my value in a way that is authentic. If it doesn't land with any, anybody, then there's nothing else I can do about it. You know, I've done what I can. And I think that's half the battle being really well prepared. And I know myself, um, you know, I can think of an instance when the first time I did the Becoming More Significant talk, it was much longer than what I did at the weekend. And I was trying it out at the Professional Speaking Association. And I was trying a whole new set of slides, part of some of which somebody else had, had, had you know, put together for me. And I hadn't had enough preparation time before delivering. I had prepared, I had practiced, but not enough. And it showed in my performance and I wasn't nearly as energized and confident as I normally was. Now, now people come up after that. Well, that was great. I got a lot from it. But I knew in my heart that I could have delivered that a lot better. So I think that preparation and confidence in your preparation is crucial to everything we do in life. You know, if you're having a, a tricky phone call and you just pick up the phone and, and, and talk without thinking about what's my objective, what's my outcome, what am I going to ask here? If you haven't prepared at all, then your outcome's not going to be nearly as satisfactory as if you've spent, you know, 10, 15 minutes sitting there thinking, right, why am I making this call? What's my objective? What are the possible objections that might come up? What's the outcome I'm looking for? I'm like, if you've done that and then you follow all those things you've put down there, then then you've done your best job and you can reliably say, I did my best in that call. I couldn't predict the outcome. It is what it is. There's nothing else I could have done. And that's completely different from coming off and going, oh, gosh, I wish I'd prepared yeah. and I should really have thought about what I wanted to ask. And I should have had the answer to that question on my fingertips. I should have had those figures, right. you know, you know, and that's going to increase the imposter syndrome when you know you could have done a better job and you haven't you haven't done it. That's excellent advice. And actually, it's came at such a great time for me because I'm actually doing an online webinar tonight. So as soon as I come off this call, <laughs> I'm going to get on to my preparation, <laughs> Sylvia. I'm going to be like, Sylvia said, you got to be prepared. And what I also loved about your talk, it honestly, was wonderful. But what you said about focusing on becoming significant and not successful is spot on, yeah. like spot on, yeah. absolutely. And, and to give you a really practical example of that, um, my husband's just turned 63 and he's been in sales all his life. So really high pressure, mm. uh, ups and downs of sales. So, you know, great months and good commission and all the rest of it. And came in one day and he just said, I'm done. I can't do any more. Um, but he didn't want to stop working. And so during lockdown, he looked around and um, he's had an unbelievable career shift. And he is now a carer in a dementia home. <gasps> wow. And I tell you what, he's so much more fulfilled oh, now. And he's adding 
so much joy and he just sits and chats to them and and he's got all the old dears in love with him and you know wanting to run away with him and <laughs> you know he dances with them and sings with Gosh. them and, and he's really bringing joy and and he's feeling so much more fulfilled than he ever was in his sales career obviously he's earning a fraction of the money but it's not about that it's no. about the difference he's making in the world and he's so much happier now and that's just brilliant to watch it's lovely but how few people would actually do that well that's <laughs> a, that's what i'm thinking again going back to that idea of fear like that's amazing that he did that and and to know that that has been just such a, an amazing shift and such a positive especially in 2020 when it just feels like it's just been such a difficult year for everyone that there's been positive change in his life and it'll be making such a difference to everyone that he's yeah. working with, I'm sure. Yeah. And again, I'm thinking back to you telling me that story about your mum and it's so important to connect with people at any age and to give them attention and time and space and respect because we're all significant. Exactly. You know, life's all about being fulfilled. You know, we spend an inordinate amount of, of hours in our lifetime at work. Um, and so many people are not happy, are not fulfilled. 83%, at least 83% of workers globally are not playing to their strengths at work. So they're just working to earn money. They're not feeling valued. They're not using their skill set. And that's why people, you know, hop from job to job to job because they're, they're looking for this sense of being valued and, and being able to make a difference. But so often they're micromanaged so much that they just lose the will to live. And it's just a case of, right, it's Monday, back, back to the daily grind. And, and what a horrible way to spend your life, just dreading Mondays and just getting through the week and the month just to earn enough money to live. I just feel so sorry for people like that, you know, and, and you know, really want to reach as many people as possible and help them to connect with who they are and follow a career pathway that's that's just going to fill them with joy let me tell you i feel very invigorated just by speaking to you so i feel like i've had my own personal master class this is just <laughs> wonderful i'll, I'll be going <laughs> into my talk tonight going yes i've got this i've got this Brilliant. <laughs> so thank I love you it. sylvia thank you so much well i'm very delighted to be speaking to the cumbernauld karaoke queen that is anna pettigrew that's me <laughs> it sure is and Anna, can I just say, first and foremost, well done for your talk yesterday at uh, TEDx Cumbernauld Women. It was brilliant. Thank you very much. I was, I was really quite worried about it. I, I, I had to actually kind of pull myself back a bit because I was frightened in case I was going to go over time. So there was a few things that I meant to say and didn't say, but no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I know you're someone who's very accustomed to performing but I guess doing a, a, a talk is a different thing. Again, yeah. being asked to speak at an event like TEDx, Coming Old Women, and to, and speak about yourself. Especially when when I when I was watching everybody else's earlier on, and I thought I saw what they were all talking about, and I really felt as if mine was quite frivolous. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't. They'd all had traumatic experiences, you know, and I felt that. Mine's wasn't the same as theirs. But that's know. what made it yours and everyone's individual experience is unique and relevant and relative. Yeah. And that's what I've already, you know, I've spoken to two of the speakers already this morning and they said the same thing. It's that imposter syndrome. Why am I being asked to do this? Why is my story of any interest? Yeah, exactly. 
But I yeah. think what, you know, the takeaway from yours was absolute joy and the importance of kindness. So I understand that you are a bit of a globetrotter. Well, I, I mean, I've been, I've been abroad on holiday to places like um, Benidorm and uh, Malta and Yugoslavia before it, before it all broke up um, and uh, different places, Cyprus and um, Turkey. And mm-hmm. I've been abroad to all these places years ago, but I had never ventured any further abroad. I've got family in Australia. And I've got family in America and always, always wanted to visit. And I never, ever um, could afford it. And my husband was um, a kind of stay-at-home guy. So I couldn't go without him. If we went on holiday, we went together. You know, if we'd done anything, if he, if he went anywhere, I was with him. I was the, the social, the wee social bird. Butterfly. I was there. Yeah, I was out there uh, socialising, doing karaoke's, running bus runs and running youth clubs and things like that. He would occasionally help me, but he was more um, a shy person, very shy. But um, as I say, once uh, I'm on my own and I thought, by this time I was 76 and I thought, there's things I would like to do. And I'm not always going to have my health and I'm not always going to be able to afford it. I had some money in the bank and I thought, why not? My young cousin, he's, um, he lives in Perth in Australia and he was home on holiday um, in 2017. And uh, I says to him, oh, Edward, I'd love to come over. He says, Anna, come over anytime you want. So after I had spoken to him, the, the next year I, I moved and and. Uh, went into the smaller house and then found that I could afford it. And I thought, I can't just go for a week to mm. Australia. <laughs> but I don't want to impose on Edward and his family. But um, I had been in contact with some people that I knew for years and years ago. And they said, yeah, Anna, come and see us anytime. And also, I, I do the family tree. Mm. And I've got thousands and thousands of members. <laughs> But um, I had done a DNA test and um, it comes up with this cousin, distant co- a second cousin who lived in Australia. She actually lives about five hours outside Perth, but she was so anxious to meet me that she came into Perth wow. and met up with me and we went, um, we had a wee day out together. Then this friend of mine um, who'd moved over a, a Australia when, well, when I was just no longer married, she was a great friend of my sister's. So she moved to Australia and she'd been back home. I'd met her she'd, one of the times she was home and I'm going back about 40 years ago. Uh, in fact, it was more than that. It was about 47 years ago. <laughs> anyway, um, she says to me, uh, her daughter and her sister would take me out and I thought I was going to be staying at her place and they would be taking me out. When I got there... Her sister and her husband arrived. Now, I had never met them because Isabel was a lot younger than Katie. Katie was my friend. Well, they took me to their house. And my God, I couldn't believe it. People that I'd never met in my life. They had me in their house. They had a big bedroom all ready for me. Everything that I needed. They took me to... uh, Sydney Harbour, they took me to the, the grand the, the grand old opera, <laughs> the Sydney <laughs> Opera House and all these different places. Wow. 
And then they took me to the place where they make, where they film Home and Away. And while we were there, they were actually filming. And you didn't get a wee cameo role? No, I didn't get And I'm shouting at, uh, what do you call him? The young guy that's a policeman, I'm shouting at him, I'm your auntie for Scotland. <laughs> been perfect. Yeah, but he just looked at me. <laughs> you were saying about the kindness of people and, you know, the kindness that you were shown. You know, it's amazing that you were able to go and travel and, and see all these places, but the fact that you were welcomed by these yeah. people that you'd never met before, it's amazing. And I think that's what we need to be reminded about, especially in 2020, is that there is kindness there and there oh, are yeah. people willing yeah. to be kind and give to others. I mean, they, they were absolutely fantastic. When I went to Brisbane, my husband, um, his old uncle, was 90, 97. I, I, we kept in contact with him uh, back and forward with Christmas cards, calendars and things like that. Mm. And I thought, you know, Uncle Bill, I'll go and see him. So in the meantime, Nicole, my granddaughter, yeah. she had contacted this young guy that he had just moved to Australia with his girlfriend who was a friend of hers, and she was asking him if he could meet up with me. And while she was talking to him, this young girl that she, that she didn't realise was there, she contacted and, and says, I'll go and see your granny, Nicole. <laughs> so she came to visit me the next day, and my God, was she a breath of fresh air. She oh. was absolutely beautiful, lovely lassie, so friendly. She took me in a... Um, Brisbane itself and across the river and we had a brilliant day. So then I, I hopped, as I says, <laughs> I hopped over to New Zealand and my, my cousin's family lived there and I couldn't believe they lived in a way out in the back of beyond. Um, it was like an old volca volcanic crater where they lived. Oh. Away out, away from yeah, everybody. Well, you can't go anywhere there unless you drive for about two hours. They didn't know me. They call me Auntie Anna. I keep on saying brilliant and so welcoming and all the rest of it. And I just, there's no other words for it. Yeah. You, you think to yourself, I know that I would do the same thing. You, do, you think it's a Scots thing. <laughs> <laughs> we Glasgow people and all the rest of it, you know. But... um. It's worldwide, and as I say, that um, then later on the year when I went to Canada, the cousin, she was a distant, distant cousin. It turns out that this this woman, again doing the the heritage and all the rest of it, her um, great grandfather was my grandmother's cousin. They told me not to fly into Toronto, to fly into um, America. And they would come and pick me up, which was just across the border from where they were. They came and they picked me up. They took me back over into uh, Canada. And, oh, it was such an experience. They, they, they stopped. They did a big picnic for me. We, we stopped halfway and we, we sat at the side of the, the river, pointing everything out to me and just gelled so quickly. Mm. You know, just really gelled very quickly. And they wouldn't let me put my, my hand in my pocket once. Not once. Whenever we would go for a meal, I'd say, I'll get that. No, no, you can get it next time, Anna. And they never once let me put my hand in my pocket. They just, they paid for everything. And every morning he made me this absolutely fantastic breakfast. Oh, <laughs> every, every single morning, 
they say they were they were they were fantastic, and they drove me all the way back over the bro the the border, and uh, I got uh, the the plane to Boston, where uh, a good friend for when my husband and I both worked in the the buses when we were young. He was a bus driver, and I was a clippy. And this um, this girl that stays in Boston, she actually she worked in the buses as well. She took me a, a few places, and then this woman that I had met online years and years ago, I'm going back maybe 20, 20 odd years ago when I, my husband was alive and I used to sit in the bedroom on my computer and uh, sing with it in this group. Wow. And I met, I met this woman. She loved me singing and she wanted me to send her discs and things like that. Um, and we really, really hit it off really well. So when I was going to... Massachusetts, because she stays in Massachusetts as well. Sandy came and picked me up with this other this other woman, Karen, and we went for the day. They took me into Salem. I was looking at all the witches' hats and things <laughs> like that. Oh, some some fantastic stuff they've got. And I went and I got a reading with a witch. These really. are the things, though, like the, the experiences. And you mentioned it earlier on about age and about yeah. being of a certain age. And I think whatever age you are that I think your message was yesterday that you're never too old and don't put off what you could do today until tomorrow because yeah. unfortunately tomorrow might never come that's it exactly the connections you've made online and the people that you've sang to online and sang with and and kept in touch with you know people would find that amazing in itself that you've had that yeah. community but also the fact that you took yourself on a plane on several planes to go yeah. and have an, an Long adventure yeah. Travelling is like scary whether you're with somebody or not, but the fact that you you've just gone and done it anyway, you've faced that almost that fear of like, I'll just need to figure it out. Yeah. I got there and I survived it. You did. You love to tell the tale. And that's the yeah. thing about the fact that you did the TEDx Common Old Women talk yesterday, that you've agreed to do the podcast. I just get the sense that you are the kind of person that just goes, Aye, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Well see when they asked me to do the radio show. That was amazing. So that was was that Cumbernauld FM? Yeah, yeah. They'd contacted me and asked me if um, if they could in, if they could interview me. They says to me, send me a um, a short bio, you know, where you were born and things like. Well, I had to cut everything down. The, the things that I'm <laughs> about with all your press clippings and yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about press cuttings, I was. The Glasgow Students' Charities Personality for 1982. Where are you now? As a mature student. 1980, I went to Cumbernauld College and one of my friends had been uh, saying she was at college and she was doing this and that. And I thought, I'd love to try that. Because I was quite clever at school, but never done anything with it. I was too flighty, you know, wanted to get out in the big world and all that. So I went back to the college and uh, I'd done my O grades. And then I done my hires, and uh, I done all right, done quite well with them. And then uh, one of the girls had says to me, "Can you take my place in this? They're doing a students' charity thing, you know, a competition in the college." And I thought it was a takeoff of the big one in Glasgow. You know, I said, oh, "I'll take your place, no problem, Jean." Right. So she had an exam to do, so I goes away and the tutors and they're all asking you questions and things like that and I was being very flippant uh, you married Anna yes yes and how many kids have you got five what ages are they oh they go for 30 there and you know different things five sons 
and wow. there were yeah, five sons. But anyway, I won. And then they told me that I had to represent Cumbernauld in Glasgow. I thought, oh my God. They're like, you know, I was just standing in for Jean. Jean. <laughs> <laughs> I got all these prizes. Gosh. And I was to represent um, Cumbernauld in Glasgow. And I went in there to George, to the um, city chambers in George Square. And, uh, and I was the only mature student that was there. I saw these young boys and young girls, and I'm blaring away to them and having a laugh with Paul Coy and things like that. So anyway, I'm getting interviewed in front of these people. And again, I was, I, I was being quite flippant, really. So when they were announcing the, the runners-up or whatever, I thought, they'll give me third place because I'm the only mature student here. <laughs> right. So um, when they announced the third, I went, oh, well, it wasn't me. Oh, they'll give me second. They'll give me second. Right? So they announced the second, and it wasn't me. And I thought, oh, well, that's it. And then they said, and the winner, Anna Pettigrew. And I went, <laughs> Two seconds on the, the, the news on the television. And then I had all the newspapers coming to take photographs. And my husband saying, don't include me. So it was they get pictures taken, jumping for joy outside the, the college with the Cumbernauld News. I had uh, the Glasgow Herald, the Evening Times, all coming to take photographs of me and my boys. Amazing. <laughs> was, I think was, you're just such a great role model for your family as well. Like the fact that you have just embraced like, yes, I want to do that. So I'm going to go and yeah. do it. It seems yeah. to me that that's always been your kind of mantra, your kind of motto. Yeah, yeah. And I love as that a, you embrace like going to college like as a yeah. mature student because that, again, you know, that's a common theme for a lot of people that for yeah. whatever reason they didn't achieve what they wanted to or thought they could at school. Yeah. Uh, but it's very difficult to go back, you know, you having a, a big family like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is that um, Nicole, my granddaughter, um, she went back to college as a mature student. She's following she's your been- footsteps. Her and I, her and I are really, really, really close. See, she had a really special relationship with her granda. My husband and her were absolutely so close, and she's looked after me since her granda passed away. Yeah. And I mentioned my tattoo. Yes. My, my husband, he would have cracked up at me <coughs> going to get a tattoo. Everybody was saying to me, oh, Kenny would be over the moon with that. I said, Kenny would be calling me all the stupid old sods of the day. <laughs> because Nicole, I had went in, Nicole was getting a tattoo. My husband um, collected Buddhas. People would buy him Buddhas for his birthday and <laughs> different things, you know. Lovely. So when he passed away, she picked out a Buddha for herself. So I was in the studio with her while she was getting it done. She's saying to me, why don't you get one, Granny? And I'm saying, I've always, I kind of always fancied having a wee tattoo of some kind. So I thought, um, aye, I'll get one, Nicole. It's for 50, it's for 55th anniversary next February. I says, I'll, I'll get it done then. So she booked me in <laughs> and she's saying to me before it, so what are you going to get? So my husband always loved me singing this song. And my son recorded me singing it. And Kenny used to listen to it. He used to, he had it in a, a CD and Kenny Aww. would listen to it. So when he passed away, we played it at his funeral, me singing this song. Aww. I thought, I want to incorporate that with just 
celebrated our golden wedding, wedding anniversary two months before he passed. My son had bought us this uh, golden wedding anniversary rose. So I thought, right, well, I want a yellow rose and I want the, 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 the name of the song. So we eventually come, come up with the idea of getting a rose, but the stem of the rose would be made up of the words, the title of the song. When we were first married, we lived down in London and I came up to Scotland to have my first son and then my second son. And we would write back and forward. So I had all these letters that he'd written to me. Oh, wow. My son's girlfriend is a graphic designer. So we picked out the words for the letters, photographed these words, sent them to her, and she resized them up. So the words are on this are his actual writing. That's so lovely. So that's what my 75th, when I was 75, that's what I'd done when I was 75. We were sitting, as we were getting in the bus, and Nicole sent me a nervous granny. And I'm saying, <laughs> no, I'm fine. So she's taking photographs of me in the bus. <laughs> and then we, we get sent to the, the, the office. She's saying to me, you nervous yet, granny? And I'm saying, no, I'm fine. And while the, while the girl's doing the tattoo, Nicole's filming me, and she's saying, are you all right, Granny? I said, I'm fine. I said, no sore? No. She said, you're not going to cry? I said, would you like me, Granny? <laughs> <laughs> honestly, it wasn't sore. I didn't feel it at all. Didn't feel you it at are all. just fearless through and through, for sure, Anna. <laughs> you are an amazing storyteller. You know, you've had Thank me you. captivated. <laughs> uh, you know, and a beautiful singer. We heard you sing yesterday. And... You just have that people person vibe about you. That's what I get from you. Just speaking to you now. I, you just, just... Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I, I do. I love people. I love meeting new people. I love being, getting, having friends. But I've, I've got friends that we've met on holiday and I've kept in contact with and I've, for over 30 years. People will say to me, I hate Facebook, I hate Facebook, or oh, it causes trouble. If you use it in the right way, then it's a godsend. It's kept me in contact with all my family abroad. My, my sister down in Manchester, when she was still alive, she passed away on the 29th of August. Sorry to hear that. Um, I'm very philosophical. I know that life goes on. You don't wallow. I loved my husband to bits. I was with him for 50 years. In fact, I was with him for more than 50 years. He was there for me. He was there to keep me grounded. And he was a brilliant dad and he was a brilliant grandfather. And I miss him like crazy. But I don't wallow. I've talked to him every now and again. If something happens, I'll say, um, oh, there you go, Kenny. Did you do that? You know, things like that. Well, it sounds to me you're living your life to honour the life that you had with him when he was yeah. there, when he was supporting yeah. you and all the things that you wanted to do yeah. and, you, and you went off and did those things yeah. and he was his own person and you were your own person. And, I mean, he was he was so well-loved. Mm. He, he was a great guy, by the way. I mean, he was... He was well, a it'd really have to be if he was married to you, Anna. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Anna, you are an absolute star. I can't thank you enough for coming on the Bro and the Brave podcast. And I just want to congratulate you for yesterday. I thought you did an amazing thank job. You and you really thank would you. have uplifted so many people with your talk and about your tales of all your globe trotting and your singing and being a radio star and it's amazing <laughs> but it's been lovely to meet you albeit virtually hopefully i'll meet you in real life one day that would be great wouldn't it yeah keep yeah. in touch for sure brilliant keep telling stories because they're brilliant and you're excellent at it thank you thank you
I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.